Okay, I know Rob just prayed, but I'm going to pray and then we'll go ahead and get started. Um, God, just thank you that we were able to come here um, and just find a place of solitude in what feels like chaos, um, even if it's just for a little while. Um, and I just pray that people leave here today um, with a little bit of hope and grace and peace in your name, amen. Um, so I'm going to preface this. Um, Brian told me that I need to pick topics that are a little less heavy when I write sermons. So <laughs> this topic is heavy. <laughs> if you don't have the like mental capacity for that today, um, it ends well and it like has a positive side to it. Um, but I also understand if you like need some space because I need that space sometimes and I sometimes wish that people would like preface it with like, hey, just so you know, like we're going somewhere deep today. Um, so I've been afraid of failure my entire life and not that normal like I'm gonna strive to do my best because I don't want to fail, kind of like healthy failure or fear of failure, but this like super toxic breathe, consume, be fear of like, I can think of nothing else. I have to succeed, I have to win, I have to be the best. And um, I mean, as a kid I played sports and I literally played everything, like all of them, <laughs> um, not for very long, but I would sign up for a sport and like live and breathe that sport. I would choose what I ate based off of my ability to play. I would practice every minute that I wasn't at school or sleeping. I could think of nothing else other than that sport. And eventually someone would be better than me because there always is someone better than you, right? And so I would just quit and give up and not sign up for another season and just like be totally wracked with guilt of like, why could I not be the best? Like I put in so much effort. I did all this work. I did all the right things. Why did I fail? And it wasn't just sports that I did this with. It was everything that I ever tried. I did it with journalism. I did it with photography. I did it with um, debate. So many things that I would try and then quit because I wasn't the best. And religion is the thing that stuck around the longest. And I say specifically religion because I mean something a little different than kind of what we're talking about today. But religion was the most important thing to me. I was baptized at the age of five and I really, I was a baby. <laughs> um, but I remember very vividly and distinctly making the decision, and kind of as I talked about earlier, that at the age of five, I was gonna spend my entire life dedicated to converting people to the version of Christianity that I had been baptized into. And it was, like I said, well-intentioned. Um, I just didn't want the people that I knew to go to hell. And so everyone that I met, I talked to about Jesus and their possibility of them going to hell forever. And I was so determined and I, I, again, lived and breathed religion, and I studied the Bible in and out. I spent so many hours praying and was determined to meet the quota for the rules that I had set for myself um, to be, like, the most religious, to be the perfect Christian. Um, now I realize that I was struggling with um, <laughs> religious OCD, but that's something totally different. So, <laughs> but all in all, it was a very unhealthy, very toxic thing, and I, I my entire childhood and through my teen years, um, this is the way I lived my life until I got to college. Um, and it was like the further that I got away from the bubble that I had been in and my parents' home and in the church that I grew up in, the more that I started to question. Um, and it started with simple questions of like, hey, I dedicated like so much time to this thing and now I don't go to this church anymore. Maybe I shouldn't have like put so much effort into it or maybe I could take a break from it. Um, and then kind of as time went on, the questions got a little deeper. Um, 
and what started as maybe I could take a little break and not be so forceful with people turned into maybe all of this was for nothing, maybe God doesn't exist at all. Um, and that was a terrifying place to be in. And my fear of failure immediately set in and was like, okay, just by asking that question, you failed at being a Christian and therefore you have to quit. So I quit and rather than face the questions and find answers and dig through the dirtiness and the chaos of asking those really deep, horrifying questions, I decided that I was gonna be an atheist and I was gonna be the best atheist I could possibly be. <laughs> I was gonna do all the things I wouldn't let myself do because good Christians didn't do them and I was gonna do it to the best of my ability and I was gonna be perfect at it. Um, but even making that decision to be an atheist didn't stop the grappling. There was still part of me inside that was like, you dedicated so many years. I mean, I was 19 and I started at five. Like I, my entire life had been dedicated to this thing, to this church, to this book. And now here I was ready to throw it all away. So I still just struggled with this, like, is it, it there has to be more. I still questioned, um, but I was so afraid to go down that rabbit hole of actually asking those questions and actually doing the work. Um, now, looking back, I realized this was the beginning of my deconstruction and it's helped shape me into who I am. Um, but at the time it was just so full of shame and guilt and I felt totally and completely alone. That's through all of it. Um, and the Bible doesn't guarantee that we won't experience failure or heartbreak. Um, and we've talked about this a lot. We talked about it this morning as we've gone through the book of Psalms together over the last couple of weeks of just because we're Christian, just because we believe in God, this God who is loving and protects us and provides from us, doesn't mean that we, provides for us, doesn't mean that we are immune to pain. We still live in a world full of pain and we still experience that pain um, and brokenheartedness. And I think that's really hard to kind of grapple with, especially for those of us like me who were taught that like everything is perfect if you're a Christian. Like if you just get saved and get baptized, like everything will be perfect and you'll never have a hard day in your life. Um, but even the Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> we see actually over and over and over that there are so many people who fail, who struggle, who experience pain. The disciples themselves were persecuted, um, some of them even killed. And then in the Old Testament, we see um, Abraham lied twice about his wife being his sister to get out of a pretty sticky situation. Moses was a murderer. Jacob lied and deceived his father so he could steal his brother's birthright. And at the time, even the crucifixion uh, was viewed as a failure. Jesus' disciples were expecting a revolution very, very different than the one that they got. And a crucifixion was seen as the ultimate failure. Um, but with Jesus, it became a new way to defy Rome. Other revolutionists had attempted this before, and when their crucifixion or their death or their arrest, they were, their revolution was over. But with Jesus, it was almost like when he divide Rome that one last time by refusing to stay dead, it just made the revolutions kick up and spur on even further. And historically, Judea was under even more unrest after he was crucified. And the church as we know it today didn't start until after he was dead, or after the resurrection, I guess I should say. And Christianity really is the religion of resurrection. Um, we're being asked 
to be still, to sit, not in the misery of our failure and our pain, though that is valid and we should absolutely feel those feelings because that's part of the experience of being human, but to sit in the hope that the resurrection provides, that failure isn't the opposite of success. And sometimes that hope really can only look like I got out of bed today um, and I made it through. And so I'm gonna try again in hopes that tomorrow I can do the same thing. And if that's the only hope that you have, you're here. <laughs> um, I have that very bare minimum level of hope sometimes, a lot of times actually. Um, and it's okay to be in the middle. It's okay to be learning and to question, to fail and get up again and again. Um, and kind of as I've gone through this, I'm starting to be fascinated with um, the day in between the resurrection or the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's the second day because Jesus didn't die and then immediately raised from the dead. And so there was this whole day in between where the disciples and the followers of Jesus are left abandoned. They had this expectation that Jesus was going to come in and overthrow Rome and reinstate the Jews as their own nation, as their own people, and Jesus was going to be their king. But now he's dead and he's gone and they're left with questions. And we see um, uh, Peter specifically, um, we see his struggle in Luke 22, verse 62. I'm reading from the message version, so I'm gonna, I really liked the way that it worded it, so I'm gonna read it from here. Um, so Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. At that very moment, the last word hardly off his lips, a rooster crowed. Just then, the master turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered the, what the master had said to him. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and cried and cried and cried and cried. So here we see Peter is the, one of the disciples. He's one of Jesus' closest friends. He lives with him day in and day out. He sacrificed everything. He quit his job. He left his home to be with Jesus. And now Jesus is dead. And he is terrified for his life when all the disciples are on the run or in hiding. And as people start to recognize him, this happens three different times, they say, hey, aren't you the one that's been with Jesus? And he says, no. And he even goes so far as to argue with someone saying like, I'm not who you say I am. Like, stop arguing with me. I know who I am and it's not that person. <laughs> and immediately um, after this third conversation, Peter realizes like, I have just denied the existence of the relationship that really probably meant the most to him. And um, so we can see that yes, Peter is scared for his life and I can understand his justification and like, hey, I don't want anybody to kill me because I was associated with Jesus, but I can also put myself in his shoes and the Bible doesn't really expand on his reasoning for denying his relationship with Jesus after the crucifixion, but I, it feels eerily familiar to me. <laughs> Maybe Peter was wondering Maybe I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Here he was expecting this very specific thing to happen and it's over and it didn't. So maybe Jesus wasn't who he said he was. Maybe Jesus wasn't who I thought he was. Maybe our relationship was a scam. Um, and it's terrifying and as terrifying as it is to admit out loud that I've had that question, um, I have. And here we are seeing Peter having the same question. Um, and then I know now we have the picture of the whole story and we know that 
Jesus was resurrected. And I feel like sometimes we get in the habit of judging Peter, of, hey, you're not looking at the whole story. Like, how could you possibly deny this? Like, don't you know that he's Jesus and he's res- he's, he comes back from the dead? This isn't the end. It's not over. Um, but we're not there. I mean, we weren't, we weren't there in the second day. And we don't know the questions that they had, the struggle that they faced. And it feels like through the process of my deconstruction, I've been stuck there in that second day of everything I knew is gone and dead, but now where do I go? Um, I feel alone. I feel like everything is gone. And is there enough hope to start over? Do I keep going or do I stay and hide? Do I become an atheist and pretend to be someone else? We don't know. I'm stuck in that second day. And I think the Bible is silent on this topic, and you're not going to really find any sermons, at least that I know of, on the second day. I mean, there's not a lot of information there. Um, But I think the Bible's trying to remind us in being silent in this space to be still, to not try and erase it. Don't erase the questions. Don't erase the doubt. Don't try to run from it or make it into something else or pretend like it's not there and just push through to the positive. There's an entire day dedicated to the grief, the loss, the frustration, the loneliness, the fear, the doubt, and everything in between. And I think we do ourselves a disservice um, when we try to deny these very real human experiences, these very real human emotions. Um, Something I have to remind myself nearly every single day is um, that it is okay to feel the pain. You don't have to pretend that it's not there. You don't have to swipe it away because you believe in Jesus. Here we see there's so many different mixed emotions in the existence of human life. And these are Jesus' friends, best, closest friends. They lived with him. And here they are having the same doubts that I have. The beauty of the story comes after the resurrection. um, But there really is a unique beauty in that second day. And so Mark 16 describes the encounter when Mary approaches the tomb and finds it empty when Jesus has been resurrected. Resurrected. I'm having trouble talking today. Resurrected. And he tells her in verse 7, go tell the disciples and Peter what you have seen and heard. So Jesus names specifically Peter. And it's almost like a call out to him of like, hey, I know that you're doubting. I know that you're struggling. But I want to remind you and everyone else that I still love you that I am not, I didn't stay dead. I know that it was terrifying and I know that everything is over and it didn't go the way that you planned. And now you're wondering if all of this was fake or were even worth the amount of time and effort that you put into it. But here I am, I remember your name and I want you to know that I still have a plan here. It's not over, this isn't the end. And I want you to be a part of what comes next. I need you to be a part of what comes next. And Peter really takes this call to heart. Um, we see he goes on later to um, really like start the church as we know it. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, Peter later went on to be aggressively involved in the building of the church and the expansion from not just the Jews, but to um, like across cultures. And he... <laughs> And it doesn't say that he ever really reconciled with these questions. And I like to think that he went on in spite of them. 
I mean, I'm up here today and I still have these questions. <laughs> I even said it earlier, like there's some days where I, this is the last thing that I want to talk about because it's so, it feels so discouraging sometimes, so hopeless, so empty. Um, but I think that if Peter can follow this trajectory, trajectory of being best friends with Jesus and dedicating everything to him to then refusing to acknowledge the relationship to going on and starting the church as we know it today and being really the the core founding mem one of the core founding members maybe we can too and maybe we can go with our questions in hand and grapple with them at the same time just like our emotions can exist together and we can feel depressed and hopeful at the same time and we can feel joy and grief at the same time and they don't cancel each other out. Maybe we can do the thing and want to serve this God but also question at the same time and it doesn't cancel each other out. Maybe questioning isn't the ultimate failure. Maybe it's not the opposite of success. And I was talking with someone after the last service and. She said that she'd had a lot of these questions and we both kind of struggled with that of like the shame and fear of, but what am I losing if none of this is real? And I, I told her every time I ask that question, is God real? It's like the box opens and it, my view of God expands rather than limiting it and becoming an atheist and refusing to be, like believe in God at all anymore. It's somehow in asking that question, I learned something new about God and my belief grows. And instead of being afraid, maybe I can live in that space and just know that the story's not over yet because we're all still here and we're all still going. Um, Christianity is the religion of resurrection. So our faith can die and be resurrected as something totally different, right? So I'm gonna pray and then we'll be done. Um, God, thank you so much that we were able to find hope in the story of you. Um, but most importantly, thank you for reminding us that we're not alone and for giving us stories of others who fail, who question, who have pain. Um, and I just pray that as we go into the week, we're able to um, feel that hope, even if it's just like a smallest, the smallest fraction of it. I just pray that we're able to take it into the week and the weeks to follow. In your name, amen.